Beyond Infinity. So sitting down on a uh, kind of chilly, for the first time in ages, spring day in the southern part of Victoria on the Mornington Peninsula. Welcome to Simon Mulvaney after a bit of a break to discuss climate change and the call that the Australian Bureau of Meteorology made recently, which actually declared an official declaration that we're in an El Nino weather pattern. So welcome, Simon. Good to have you back. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Always a pleasure, mate. You know, look, we've had the warmest winter on record. I was up in Sydney recently on Bondi Beach on 32 degrees in early September. It was funny, you know, it was weird. Like you're on this hot baking beach with no wind uh, or very little breeze. And then in the water, it's, it's winter temperatures almost, you know, it's 15 Celsius or something, which is chilly, especially for Sydney. Then down here, we've had last, just last week, we had, we've had a run of, of, of lovely weather, but it's just completely out of whack with where, you know, what the weather should be. Now today, it's, it's sort of, you know, low, well, low it's teams. snowing today. Snowing today and, you know, 12 degrees or whatever outside and, and typical chilly sort of gray weather for this time of year so you know we are getting a real combination it's been the warmest winter on record in Australia you know we've had huge fires in Europe over the European summer uh, and also in North America and Canada we've already got bushfires burning in Gippsland and other parts of Australia so climate's doing some odd things the overview is not that great it's predicted that by 2050 Average temperatures in Australia will have increased by 2.32 degrees on average. Just to put that in context, since 1910, when records began, average temperatures in Australia have increased by 1.5 degrees Celsius. And the last seven decades, since 1950, uh, every decade has been warmer than the previous. Both day and night temperatures have increased. So climate's changing. We know that the climate's changed over the course of the history of the planet but it is changing kind of dramatically and it's got a lot of people concerned. I remember in, you know, years ago, they were calling it global warming mm. and not climate change. Mm. And then I, I wondered why they'd changed that term mm. to climate change. And it seemed a very broad term mm. because the climate is constantly yeah. going to change. Mm. There's no doubt there's terrible things happening in terms of what humans are doing to the earth. And I think it's a, it annoys me, the term climate change in a way, because I see people underneath um, my posts on social media having huge fights over, you know, whether there's an agenda attached to it. Mm. And say they called it pollution. Mm. I think everyone could agree we need less pollution. Yeah. yeah. And I, I just get worried that some of these big corporations and... and the ones that um, I'm definitely being up against, like Bayer, Monsanto ones, they'd argue their chemicals are helping with climate change. Um, and it, it takes people away from other issues out there that are really serious, mm. like, you know, like pollution and, yeah. and um, pesticides. And mm. I also worry about our children. And I noticed that there's a school strike coming up they're calling um, in the next few weeks and for climate change. And, uh, you know, we see these people chaining themselves to roads and it's... Invading stages. I think there was a stage invasion in a West End performance just recently in London. Right in the middle, they've just jumped on, invaded the stage and taken over. 
started screaming slogans at the at the at the audience who yeah. were booing them. Yeah, you know? and I've heard, I've seen a couple of those protesters interviewed, and and they're of the belief that there's going to be no world left in fifteen years, and mm. and like if you did want to get the whole world into a fear state, mm. you would probably bring up something like climate change mm. to to scare everyone. And mm. I, I'm only more switched on to this since the pandemic when they used to put the amount of cases on tv and they ran that you know massive fear campaign probably particularly for us in victoria with a press conference every day and yeah um and now i've noticed behind the news in the graphic it's all red now like it's burning mm. and it's just i think it, it's great that we're all conscious on on what we might be able to do mm. but i'm now becoming a bit um, worried about they're going to usher usher in some strict regulations for us in the future under the guise of climate change or safety. Mm. And I've I've read a few of these reports, like in two thousand and thirty, you, you'll you know only be able to drive a certain amount of kilometres. Yeah, I think they're with, saying like there's a twenty minute a twenty minute city or something. Fifteen you, minute city. Fifteen yeah. minute city where you you're um you're only allowed to. You've got to pay a, a whole lot more if you want to sort of do anything more outside your your zone where you're allowed to be, you know, which is, mm-hmm. it's all pretty draconian. You're right. I mean, the, the lockdowns we experienced in Victoria, the longest cumulative lockdowns of any any place on earth, and I think they're still being felt. You know, there's, there's you know, suggestions that we've sort of got mass PTSD. It's not really been properly researched. And, you know, maybe the federal government, which decided they're going to have a talk fest about, you know, how Australia responded to COVID, you know, they're under pressure to include the states, which I think they have to, because the states acted almost... It was like the country broke into separate countries. You know, we went back to the sort of old colonial divisions and, the, you know, when the, federa- when, the, when the country was federated, supposedly it was unifying these disparate colonies, but we really discovered under COVID that, you know, that the, the wording and the detail of that, that federation actually gave a lot of independence states and they could close the close their borders which they did no they did yeah i always thought the federal politicians had the power but it was Mm. definitely seemed like the state politicians and i guess above all that it was the health ministers Mm. and we had brett sutton and victorian of the year (laughs) did you see that oh god yeah yeah i couldn't believe that and i did notice that he said he was a bit embarrassed getting it looking back you know but who's who's he taking his instructions well yeah. he was a it was a political appointment he was sort of a you know he was just a kind of rubber stamp guy for for government policy or the world health organization like mm. it, it was you know looking back they there was something orchestrated mm. you know whether it was in humanity's best interest or not mm. you know we will probably be debating forever but on on that topic i think they used the pandemic to usher in a lot of things mm. that, that we had to get used to like mm. we couldn't pay cash at the time mm. and um we see that you know even some banks now are mm. not yeah. paying cash and then yeah in terms of what looks like being rolled out like you know people probably have this sense of security that um that oh, i'll be able to drive my car how will they stop me but the way it's going they'll be able to um, see what you're spending your money on with your credit card or your government mm. cryptocurrency mm. and they'll be able to monitor those things. Mm. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, China's already doing it with the social credit system. So, so yeah, so we've, we've kind of gone slightly off track. We're talking about climate change today or we're talking about the response <laughs> to climate change and, and how it's affecting the world we're in. And you kind of likened some of the fear tactics around that discussion of climate change to what was used in the pandemic, which is a, it's a, it's a fair parallel to draw because definitely we're kind of being... There is a lot of fear out there and there's a tendency perhaps towards exaggeration. There's definitely the ability to, or the, the, the tendency to use clickbait in the media. You know, obviously clickbait is kind of, I suppose the, 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 the term refuse, refers to, uh, you know, headlines on a, on a website and things that you click on, but uh, it's kind of similar to what you see on, you know, like you were talking about the lettering of, you know, climate change is always in red with sort of flames behind it or a huge sun or, you know, or a dried riverbank or, you know, like... Well, the weather map now on the news, mm. when you look at the, the weather map behind the, you know, weather lady giving giving the, you know, outlook, mm. it's red now. Mm. It used to be green. Mm. Mm. And, you know, I'm looking at the, the United Nations website, which is the World Meteorological Organization. This is, you know, trying to have a lot of empirical um, evidence on it. But I suppose what makes it easy for countries and, and individual governments to exaggerate is because they can refer to, you know, there's lots and lots of examples of quite strong words being used and quite stark warnings being given by scientists you know we, we, we're reaching a tipping point we're reaching a critical mass we're you know we're beyond the we're beyond the tipping point we're getting to the sort of irreversible point um you know we're going to have what you know coast cities that are on coast which is a lot of cities all over the world built on coastlines you know are they going to have problems because of rising um sea levels uh and and the rising sea levels are going to stem from ice melting on in vast quantities at the poles um, so there's a thing on the, the um, WMO, just, just very... So they have been saying that for a long time, haven't they? Yeah. You know, yeah. like, over, I don't know, over a decade. Yeah, on, I think on since the 1970s, that. the whole thing began. You about, know, that was about, yeah. and uh, we, we chat, uh, chatted about this up air, but insurance companies are still insuring places on the coast. Mm. And that would give an indication that the, the rising sea levels may take a bit longer than what yeah what we're thinking yep and and similarly you know we're you know being told to brace for a, a pretty bad fire season and obviously australians particularly in the southeastern corner of the continent are very susceptible to fear-mongering because we had the the terrible fires of, of 2019-20 that summer which is only what three years ago so that anything that's talking about the possibility of a, of a terrible fire season well it's just engendering fear, but it's not necessarily engendering much positive change. I mean, are they doing aggressive backburning? Are, what measures are, are governments and authorities taking to address what what they're saying is going to be a bad a bad fire season? Well, I'm, well, not aware of, I'm not aware of anything. Well, on that. Well, very um, much. If, I, I know, know, I know I that have, New South Wales, they had some backburning done recently. A lot of well, smoke I in the I have friends in Gippsland, mm. and he seems to think that that fire was, was, a, was, a, was an out-of-control backburn. Yeah. Right. I thought one of them was started by a campfire or something they were saying. Uh-huh. Chad been put um, out. And the one near one the, the one near Bragalong, I think they were suggesting it was a uh-huh. campfire that hadn't been put out properly. Um, I actually, you know, when I heard there was a bit of, you know, controlled burning, um, we I thought they'd timed it pretty well before this cool change. Um, but yeah, of course, you're you're at risk of things getting out of control. Yeah. So you've got to choose the right time of year, but 
I mean, there was one down on, on Point of Pen, um, like about 10 years ago or thereabouts. Yeah, that went out of control. Went out of control. And they, did, they chose to do it on a on a 30-degree day with a north wind. Yeah, it was it's inc- like, incredible. It was, uh, I remember I was out in a boat watching that fire, and I wow. said, surely you can't have planned it to be that big. Yeah, yeah. And then what about all the you know animals in that area? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, that... that um, that was a bit ridiculous, that mm. one, I thought, mm. you know, choosing that time of year. I think it was in February, too. But somehow you've got to have these conversations with, with, with the public. or if you, You've got to... I mean, you, it's, you definitely need to have public awareness, but you, you need to have it in a way that's not just about fear. It needs to be about, let's be constructive. I mean, what are we going to all do? We're just going to all just abandon the lifestyle that we, that we want to lead? Are we just going to... We're going to move to the desert where there's no trees because so there's nothing to burn? Are we going to live underground in Cooperpedi? Or I don't know where do you move? Would you just move up to the big city because there's not a risk, not as much of a risk of bushfires up there because you're in a concrete jungle? Well, know? yeah, I was discussing this on another podcast the other day, and the the woman said that ninety seven percent of Australia is now considered a danger zone or an emergency zone mm. to live in, mm. and you know she's she was of the concern that they're very much going to move try to move people into cities. Um, and I think you were saying earlier, um, you know, those 15-minute cities that um, mm. that they're planning us to live in in the future mm. where, you know, only allowed out, you know, a certain amount of times and um, and you're only allowed a certain amount of kilometres in your car mm. and you're only allowed a certain amount of meat. Mm. And I don't know, I, I am keen to adapt and live in a better way mm. but at what cost and what liberties and i mm. don't think everyone should be governed under the same restrictions yeah we, we do seem to be drawing back to that parallel you drew with with the lockdown measures and and the response to, to um COVID. and there is a, a big inquiry that's going to be done on a federal level and and it is going to supposedly incorporate some some feedback from the states which it needs to in my my opinion there are signs of a gradual degradation or gradual but definite erosion of personal liberties in Australia and elsewhere in the world, definitely. But in Australia, you can see in Australia, I think was always regarded by Australians and I think envied by, by many places in the world because of its sort of, its, its freedom, its laissez-faire approach to life. You could do what you want as long as it was sort of, you know, as long as you wasn't legal um you 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 know people were used to being able to live the kinds of lives they chose to lead and it just seems that you what you what governments need if you if you know the way to justify encroaching on people's liberties is to have something that's a worry have a have a thing that 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 you can say we've got to be frightened of that so it's whether it's the pandemic or it's or it's climate change or it's the next pandemic, or it's whatever it is. Yeah, terrorism, exactly. All these things engender fear, and fear is a way that you manipulate that to get more control of people. Yeah, it's safety. You know, under the guise of safety, we will stop you from driving your car. I don't know. Yeah, I think we've just got to be a bit wary of and and look for solutions. And I think it, it worries me a little bit how broad the term climate change is, how outreaching the results could be and how inconsistent it is. Mm. Like um, in terms of um, credit scores for climate change or yeah. emissions credit scores. Emissions you know, trading and all that stuff, which has been, which is a kind of a scam. I mean, well, it means that you can pay to pollute. Yeah. So it means that the only people who can 
afford it are mm. the corporations that are doing the polluting mm. and then they're happy and no one else can pollute except and, them and there's been exposés where they've said oh you know yeah we're, we're contributing so we've we've offset our carbon mm. footprint by you know doing x y and z in papua new guinea or somewhere and and then they've gone they've sent a camera crew up there and this you know instead of planting all these trees or whatever there's nothing going on at all it's just it's just a you know there's some front company pretending like oh yeah, yeah with this, this is what we're doing so yeah so it's a it's i don't know i think there's a lot of the, i mean people in a way i think have a right to be it, it, it's not unreasonable to be a bit cynical about the way this is being played out you know the way that this is being manipulated uh, by governments by corporations by entities that you know for example you buy an airline ticket you know they say oh, do you want to carbon offset it well, but how exactly does that work? You know, does that really make any difference? You know, there's plenty of companies which say, oh, we plant, we plant a tree. Every product we sell, we plant a tree. Where? And, and what is it? You know, is it a seedling? Do you someone water that tree or do you just plonk it in the ground or you wait till you've got a thousand sales and then you just drop them out of a helicopter and hope that some of them catch? It's like, you know, th- there's not really much oversight of that. So... But it definitely sounds good, makes you look good because you, you, your um, customers go, oh, you know, they're in, aren't they a nice company? They're clean and everything else. But is it actually really making it, having any impact? You know? Yeah. And is well, it actually being done? Is it actually being followed through? Yeah, I see that a lot in the beekeeping world. You know, they call it bee washing. And you get, um, you know, I think um, Burt's Bees was, was doing it the other year where they said that they were, um, you know, selling, giving, or planting flowers or giving seeds to customers if they bought the um, Bird's Bees. And then I, I looked into the company Bird's Bees and originally it was from a, a Bert and his partner had started this company. And then they sold it to Clorox, I think, the chemical company, <laughs> for millions of dollars. And then, and then in this campaign, Bayer were behind sponsoring the campaign, was one of their partners. And Bayer make more pesticides in the world that kill bees. So the bee washing is another thing I see quite often that I'm wary of now. And for listeners, Simon is a beekeeper and uh, bee expert by trade. He's uh, had various campaigns against the use of pesticides um, against bees. And you've been saying to me a bit earlier today off air about how varroa, the varroa mites entered Australia, but you've been quite concerned and had a campaign against the use of pesticides to control it. It'd be fascinating to look back on our original interview we did on it. Which you can find on beyondinfinity.com.au it's yeah. there or on your, your social. You've probably got it up there still. Yeah, well, we basically said what had to be avoided to mm. stop it from spreading and, and they did the opposite, really. Mm. In, a, in a crazy thing, a bit like COVID, they started giving beekeepers permits to move their bees. Right. And... Um, and the, the ones they were giving permits to were the ones that were spreading the mite. And at the almonds this year that we were urging beekeepers not to go to the almonds or, or beekeepers to be withheld from being allowed to go to the almonds, they ended up getting there and there was a super spreading event where basically the whole of the almonds potentially got affected. And then beyond that, they got a special permit, those almond beekeepers, to move back to where they came from. So some of them went to Queensland, some of them went back to Victoria. And and while they were doing that, they were killing sort of backyard beekeepers and honey producers that were stationary in New South Wales. So there was this massive double standard. And and anyway, they've called up the poisoning now, which is good. 
But Vero- the Varroa is here to stay. You're not going to get rid of it. No. Okay. And then yeah, I'm I'm on the pulse with that a little bit. I'm hoping that they they're not going to force certain medicines on beekeepers mm-hmm. because obviously there'd be some you know chemical companies vying for that position mm. because that is one way of dealing with them. Mm-hmm. But I've had people from overseas giving me nat- natural remedies. One which is actually rhubarb leaves in. Um, Poland, they've worked out that's one way of dealing with it. You're listening to Beyond Infinity. One of the issues that keeps coming up is the politicisation of the environment and climate change and how to deal with it. I think one of the, the real inconsistencies is in Australia, there was, a, there was a big coal burning power plant in New South Wales that was going to be closed. And I think the decision was vetoed last minute by the New South Wales government because they said, look, heading into a, a hot summer, which is forecast to happen, that we're going to have too much load. People need to be able to reliably use air conditioning because it's, you know, it's not safe. I mean, there was a heat wave in France about 15 years ago or something. 15,000 elderly people died in their apartments. What's yeah. a heat by 45 or something that the grid couldn't deal with it maybe a lot of these people didn't have air con or they you know they couldn't escape the heat and a huge death toll i think that there is an inconsistency where it's okay for us to export huge amounts of coal to china and india china's still building i think it is on average two coal burning power plants a week so they've got a huge appetite for coal both their own or sourced from australia or from elsewhere and yet in australia we're phasing it out to the point where there is a chance of blackouts this summer. What critics are suggesting, and I've heard some quite compelling arguments recently about this, is that while we agree that we need to make a transition to renewables, which is wind and solar in the main, uh, that we need to do that in a way that it, you know it, it's got to, we've got to be reducing the fossil and, and ramping up the renewables, but in a managed way so that we're not going to have a shortfall in between. And it seems that we are. And I think one of the reasons that's that's cited for why Australia now has such high power prices. Like, it's crazy. I mean, everyone knows that gas, gas in particular, but electricity as well, they've all gone... It's like every light, you're turning off your lights all the time, you're walking around in the, you know, the dark at night using your phone you know, to illuminate things instead of leaving lights on. I'm running around the house. I have been for years turning lights off. We never use less power than we're using now, and that's also to do with technology. LED lights and stuff use a lot less power. And yet... Bills are still going up despite us using less. Someone explained it to me, like, and, and this is how crazy the prices are, mm. that you are better off paying someone to go out to the bush, state forest, chop firewood, pay them for their labour, bring it back, and that will warm your house for, you know, a tonne will do a year. You know, a tonne doesn't do a year. Or, you know, maybe <laughs> might two, do two, three months <laughs> or something, yeah. yeah. But he, he, you know, was explaining that it's cheaper for him to do that yeah. than pay the power bills. Yeah. And, 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 and the, think... apparently the mafia has been getting in on that. There's, there's, uh, there's organised crime has been going up and, and chopping um, old growth forests and stuff oh, illegally and just getting into that racket because, mm-hmm. because they know there's demand. People yeah. can't afford to pay the, the, the grid for yeah. the grid. And they're absolutely going towards using, uh, using a fire. And, I mean, I know... I mean, apart from it being nice to have a fire, but I mean, a canara, something which you can control the burn rate, turn it right down. There are quite efficient ways of heating your house. That's something that's been tabled to 
to outlaw to it. Having right, not allowed to have a fire either. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, gee, there's a lot of imposts being made into people's civil liberties, aren't there? Like mm-hmm. you know, you said before it started with COVID. It's a bit like you know the the, the what happens with inflation that. You have all prices going up for everything, which they have, including your um, services and your utilities. But what happens, it's not like if inflation gets tamed and goes away, the prices don't go back to, don't go back to where they were. And it's a bit, you know, in a way, it's, it's kind of a weird parallel to draw. But just as you have this, you know, this sort of growth in the erosion of personal freedoms, well, when the reasons for having those erosions, like COVID and lockdowns, supposedly legitimate reasons, when they go away, if they mm. do, it's not like there's a return, oh, suddenly there's a reset. You condition people, you soften them up for an erosion of their personal freedoms and mm. it's the new status quo. Yeah. It's the new reality. I think there is a lot of hypocrisy in, in restricting and closing and tightening the screws and forcing prices because of environmental considerations, ultimately, of fossil fuel burning in Australia, which, of which we, we have lots. We've got lots of coal still and we've got lots of natural gas and we've got the ability to extract them and we've got the infrastructure to extract them and yet we sell it in large quantities to big polluters like India and China and elsewhere, yet we're paying record high energy bills here and we are running the risk of not actually matching the winding down of fossil fuel reliance for energy in Australia with the development of, of uh, renewable technologies, you know, they, they, and they have to happen in sync. You know, you can't just sort of switch off all your fossil, you know, when you haven't got the batteries built. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the, the, the big battery that Musk built for, for South Australia. And then funnily enough, I follow his Twitter and he said, we need fuel, we need fossil energy for a long time. Mm. Earth. That's right. And so, you know, I, a lot of his followers didn't like that you know the people who buy the teslas but yeah it's like people who drive for buy priuses and stuff you know that was the kind of the clean feel good you know environmentally responsible car to own before the tesla came along or whatever Mm. i mean um there is a lot of sort of environmental do-gooderism i don't know what the word for it you know you know this sort of idea that you know oh aren't we all great because we're doing the right thing and we're making sacrifices and we're you know we're, we're acting in a sort of collective way for the good of the planet well only if everyone does the same sort of thing you know and and if china if the biggest polluters china and india and the us and 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 western europe and other other parts of you know other developed countries if they don't act consistently then we're a drop in the ocean. We're one percent or something of the globals of the of the Earth's total pollution, because mm-hmm. we're only a population of twenty five million people. Yeah. So, and we're a reasonably clean running country. I mean, even though we, yes, we we burn fossil fuel, but we're not a massive polluter. You go to our beaches; they're not covered in plastic, unlike a lot of places elsewhere in the world that have got plastic everywhere. Mm. We've got quite stringent environmental protection rules, and we have had for a long time. And they've been applied, they've been enforced and applied quite consistently, whereas in other places you pay a bribe to the right person and the whole problem goes away. I think that there needs to be a very careful and calibrated approach to dealing with climate change, which I think has been very heavily politicised all around the world, and I think that's a real problem because it, it, it either makes people cynical about it, so you need, if you're trying to get people on board and get people to change their behaviour and accept some some sacrifices in the name of the environment 
then you, there's no room for causing people to be cynical about it. Oh, you know, well, yeah, that's that's all great, but it needs to be consistent. And if it's not consistent, then you don't have people on board, and you know, it doesn't doesn't happen properly. Interestingly, you know, nuclear energy has been talked about and it's been tossed around for Australia, like compact, small, portable nuclear generating capability. And I believe that there's a lobby within Australia, and I think there's some elements in the conservative side of politics, the Liberal Party and National Party, that are saying that, yes, they would like to see further consideration of compact nuclear reactors uh, being used in Australia. The problem with nuclear is that whenever there's a a disaster, so, you know, whether it's... I mean, Fukushima is the most recent one, that caused Germany to abandon its Mm -hmm. nuclear industry completely and then rely on importing their power from neighbouring countries like Poland that were going to generate it from nuclear anyway. So it's a bit like it's a bit like Australia saying, oh no, we're not going to burn coal, but we're happy to sell coal to China. Mm-hmm. Germans say we're not going to have nuclear power plants because <laughs> they're too dangerous and, and they can, you know, you have a meltdown and then you've poisoned the environment. Mm-hmm. But we're, we're happy to let the Poles run the risk of doing it. And Poland's just a neighbouring country, you know, a few hundred kilometres away. Yeah, and probably they're not known for their engineering skills. Well, the I, think they, I think they are. I think they're actually, oh. well, look, Maybe some reactors are safer than others, but maybe they've got some old Soviet technology, which, you know, like the likes of Chernobyl, which are dangerous. I'm not sure about that, the standard mm-hmm. of, of Poland's energy. But I just think it's more about this. It suits Germany, which is a very wealthy country, to kind of cleanse its, its um, you know, wash its hands, if you like, make mm-hmm. itself feel better about nuclear, about not having nuclear. And actually Elon Musk said, I think he said to the Germans, you're crazy because you're leaving yourself very vulnerable to your reliance to, um, to Russia yes. for, for the natural gas and oil. And that's proven to be absolutely the case. I mean, it was only, apparently it would have been an absolute disaster in uh, Europe last winter if they hadn't had a record warm winter, which they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's so, kind of a potential upside of climate change or warming is that you know, you're less, less heating demand. So less burning fossil fuels, mm. wood, gas, oil. And so the, these nuclear disasters, so whether it's Fukushima or Long Island or Chernobyl, all of those, the effects of those is to increase, tighten, tighten up regulation and make the nuclear industry much, nuclear power generation industry much more costly every time it happens. And... Um, Interestingly, one of the biggest lobbies against nuclear power generation industry uh, in the US, for example, is the fossil fuel industry. Mm-hmm. So oil and, and, um, and coal. Yeah, and gas. Mm. Yeah, well, that's not surprising. Yeah, yeah. but you kind of think of oh, the enemy of the, the one that you see most obviously is the, is the, the, um, the anti-nuclear environment mm-hmm. movement. Um, but in fact, it's it's these uh, these old chestnuts who who you know who have been polluting for years and have actually if there's environmental damage that's resulted from power generation, I reckon there'd be a lot more stemming from fossil fuel burning than, I, I than did, nuclear. Yeah, I think I read you know some statistics there in regards to how many people have died in the coal industry mm. in relation to nuclear, mm. and it was you know a, lot a huge difference. have to be much more. It's all been misrepresented in the media and it's been sold as clickbait or the arguments aren't you know the superficial arguments which haven't been properly explained to people anyway the the uh, australian bureau of meteorology has declared we're in a el nino weather system and that means we're going to have a, a hot summer there's various um, things that stem from having el nino bushfires increased load on the grid because people are going to need aircon you know if you've got you know very high temperatures 
We've had the warmest winter on record. We had virtually no snow on our, on our mountains. Australian government is saying that it's working to reduce emissions, which allegedly lead to um, global warming and climate change, by upgrading the electricity grid to support more renewable power, reducing the price of electrical vehicles, supporting businesses and industries to innovate and adopt smarter practices and technologies, encouraging businesses and consumers to reduce emissions, regulating and reporting on greenhouse gas emissions, um, helping land and agriculture sector reduce greenhouse gas emissions, partnering with Indo-Pacific neighbours, helping to negotiate and meet Australia's obligations under the Paris Agreement, and reducing baselines under the safeguard mechanism predictably and gradually over time. So hence that... So, yeah, pretty loose language. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we're doing, we're just, we're doing everything that could possibly be done. Mm. Um, so, yeah... I think there's, unfortunately, there's cause for some cynicism in regard to all this stuff. One thing that I've been looking out for, a lot of beekeepers have reported sort of changing of flowering events. Mm, which has happened earlier here. Well, the tea trees come out, you know, a couple of weeks earlier. In fact, Only a couple? Is that all it is? Um, well, in saying that, I think we've, we're having... It's the best honey season I've ever seen. Oh, really? You know, start to a honey season. Just towards the end of winter, um, someone had to move a hive. And generally, bees don't get to feed as much over the winter period, and there's not much flowering. But this year, I went to move it, and I couldn't move it, and found out it was totally full of honey. And this was before the tea tree had even come out. And I think they filled up a box on the potosterum that we have around here too. But now that the tea tree's out... You know, they're filled up again. And, mm. um, and yeah, so even though we're just at the start of spring, really, um, it's, yeah, it's happening. And we've had a bit... But in, in saying that... Does it I make it just for a longer... Sp- is, is the effect that it just becomes a, a longer spring? So you get flowering for longer? Well, I think things like rain events can wash the nectar out and sometimes mm. knock the flowers off. Mm-hmm. So we've had that now. So it's going to be interesting for me to see what happens after this week to mm. see whether they're still. We go back to warm weather next week. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that I mean I've I've heard in the past that you know that, that it does throw birds out. For example, so if you have if you have an early um, or unseasonal flowering season, then you've got insects that have t- got their cycles are timed slightly differently, right? So they won't necessarily have the the means of eating the pollen or, or eating the flowers or whatever it is, feeding on that, that stage of the plant life, which has responded, responded early. So then the birds and stuff, which are going to be attracted and you know, they're a bit out of sync as well because the birds are relying on insects as, as part of their <coughs> food cycle. Um, so it can have, it can have um, adverse impacts you know, on the whole ecosystem. It has a knock-on effect. Oh, there'll be, yeah, a total chain reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there, there was maybe four years ago, there, I was getting no tea tree honey in the season and was trying to work it out. And there was a type of fly that had done incredibly well that year and the bees didn't like going to the tea tree because this other fly was all over it, a hopper fly. A few years ago, I had a lot more of a fear, particularly living down here, as to what climate change was going to cause. Mm. Um, I think for we probably do see the erosion maybe of of rising sea levels i think that's equally could have easily been caused by the dredging that we saw in the bay 
Mm. So it's hard to hard to really knock it down. But I do think it's nearly like clockwork in general for me, picking what flowers are going to come next. And the moon is always out in February. We've got the tea tree now. The next one will be a weed, containing aster. And it, it's fascinating to see them all come out yeah, in a yeah. certain order. We had that. We had all the all the yellow um, coast wattle and stuff. That's all ready flowered and done yeah. its thing and finished. Yeah. And I reckon that was early. So you're right. I mean, there's. It, I mean, I just wonder whether those flowering plants can just can flower for longer because you know the spring conditions, you know, the season that supports the flowering um, is longer, or whether like you know like normal they sort of flower and they complete that cycle. And then they're done. You know, it takes the same amount of time. But if you start earlier, then it means you finish earlier as well. Yeah. So, like for for me, it's it's um, amazing that plants have that intelligence that <laughs> they can pick to flower at a certain mm. time. Well, it's just driven. It's driven by light and heat and. Uh, yeah. Well, I would have thought it was a time for light in the day that maybe triggers it. Mm. The uh, the length of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Think, and the intensity of the sun, which is also to do with temperature related, isn't it? Right. Mm. You know, yeah, it's a it's a it's an interesting one, but and then it's interesting too. We we speak it's, it's swarm season now, and on the right weather conditions, you know it seems you know a lot of hives will swarm on exactly the same day, mm-hmm. and it's usually um, just before a good spell of weather mm-hmm. that they will do it, and obvi- for obvious reasons they don't want to be caught out in the rain or the cold. So they need to find another home in that nice period. And so how the bees have worked out that, and I'm assuming it's done through air pressure. Mm. I can say when they people call for swarms, I, I know that it's going to be good weather for the you know, next few days. Right, yeah. So you've been dealing with a bit of that already. You've, you've had to go around and sort out some... Yeah, some so that, that was probably a tad earlier as well. So, it, yeah, I've had you know two or three already but um i know next week now i think on wednesday i'll probably get 50 calls or something um because they're they're all going to be itching to go after this cold weather and are you still trying to like if you go around and and uh you you deal with say a wild colony that's cropped up somewhere will you try to relocate them and, and put them somewhere that you can you can manage that that colony yeah it's interesting a lot of beekeepers get into queen breeding and um, having special genetics but i found the best genetics are the ones that i get from the wild Mm. and yeah last year we placed um, about 30 hives at portsea estate oh yeah that's right you're telling Um, me and then yeah talking about climate change the the local council here gave a a series of grants out to um, help with with climate change and I fit it into the regenerative farming um, conditions of it and mm-hmm. so I've applied to put 30, um, 30 hives at a place called the Revillaging Project mm-hmm. um, so yeah, small scale localised farming is a, is a great solution mm-hmm. and uh, yeah I do like to see that the local councils are getting involved mm-hmm. um, in regards to that that's but, good mm, so yeah I've got 30 hives to collect for, for them. 
Right. Mm. And you still you still got your, your stash out in the back garden? Yes. Yeah, there's um I've got stashes all around town and it's, <laughs> it, it's um it, it's like having children scattered around everywhere, you know, you want to be able to pay enough attention to them all. Yeah. And um yeah, it's so cold weather like this hits before days and now I'm, you know, behind. I know, it's such a change. It's like you go, Oh, you know, bring back bring on climate change. I was really enjoying the the, the sort of early well, the, the end of winter and then the early spring and well, early summer almost, mm-hmm. you know, because it's been like that, you know, sort of mid-20s. This time a year ago, it wasn't really warm until around Christmas, you know. Yeah, we winter missed out. Was a really, there was no proper, like, warm spring. It went from winter to summer, basically. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It makes it harder for people to get their heads around it. Again, it kind of feeds into that, that problem of cynicism, mm-hmm. you know, because you know, at, at what the, you know, politicians and leaders and stuff are trying to sort of get you to do or get you to accept or get you to believe when when you kind of see such, you know, stark differences in, in um, you know, one year you've got a freezing cold winter, you know, next you've got the warmest ever. And I know that they do say that that's why they've rebranded. They said it's climate change as opposed to global warming. Yeah. Europe last winter had a very mild winter, whereas North America had had a record, you know, record snowfall. Yeah. You know, they had ski resorts that were open until August this year, you know, and, and closed with 60... In Texas at one stage? Yeah, that's... In the coldest, and it froze down their, um, their power. Mm. Mm. Knocked out their grid, yeah. yeah. And again, I mean, I'm sure that the climate scientists will say, yeah, but this is, what you, this is what you're looking at, is that you're getting increased volatility, you're going to get more extreme weather events, and that's, that's part of the climate change recipe, if you like. But I don't know. I mean, the climate's been changing forever, and it just happens that we've got sort of a cluster of stuff happening. I don't know. I mean, are you convinced that the, this is a man-made problem? That it is, you know, that the ice cores from Antarctica or from whatever that show it clearly that it started around the two hundred years ago, two hundred fifty years ago with the Industrial Revolution. There's a there's a, a marked change in what the ice cores are showing and in, in the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. I mean, are you convinced that it's this is a human-made thing that's stemming from industry? Um, yeah, I, well, I, I probably um, put most of that down to that broad aspect of pollution. Mm. So uh, I think that they're empowering it to, to get broad results, which, which aren't good for communities and individuals. Mm. Um, that's yeah I'm very worried you know with the agenda I mean is that something because it's a pretty key question isn't it I mean and it's a very it's a very hotly contested one it's an easier argument to mount which is what you actually said earlier on that um, that you know the things that we've all got to do is is pollute less you know that that's that's you know it's like you don't you don't shit in your own backyard right Mm. the same reason you don't shit in your own backyard is the same reason you don't pollute the local stream which everyone's drawing their water from or the fishing is, is taking, you know, you're taking the fish from there, or the, the stream's running into the bay where you're going to do your fishing. You know, it's that, that sort of, it's, that kind of argument is a much easier one because it's, it's common sense, essentially. Mm. It is common sense based. Whereas if you, if you mount the argument that, you know, which supposedly is proved from the ice courts, because if you, and I've had this debate with a lot of people and it is, it's quite contentious, although it seems to be, you know, that the mainstream seems to now really be, think it, it seems, to, there seems to be quite a lot of consensus now that it, yes, it is human generated. This is um, anthropocentric climate change. 
Yeah, and and I've just been become a bit um, weary as we spoke earlier mm. about these scientific studies and where they say eighty percent of scientists agree or ninety percent of scientists we've got consensus mm. because we found that whole thing with doctors and the COVID thing like you know 90% of doctors say lockdowns are good and we're going to be better off with lockdowns where mm. 90% of doctors say that vaccines are okay for pregnant women it's so now I'm, I'm probably like a lot of people that did trust the scientists before mm. I've really lost trust of science and scientists mm. and I, I guess I've seen that in the B world too mm. where um they say glyphosate is safe, you know, mm. uh, safe and effective. I think that used to be even said on TV. And now we've got a, there's actually a class action going on in Victoria against, um, you know, glyphosate chemical now or, or right. Roundup. Yeah, well, I think it's been shown to be carcinogenic, isn't it? If you, if you have enough exposure to it. Yeah, well, in court it has. Yeah. But yeah, the, the regulators haven't. Um, is it still can you still buy it yeah you still buy it from Woolworths and Bunnings Bunnings yeah um, Yeah, right and I noticed a a lot of it's been sprayed around here along the roads recently right and see that orange grass that's a yellowed grass whereas yeah yeah and um, Mm. so yeah you know in one one way I think in Germany they got some big restrictions on it but the evidence that you know tipped it over for for them was so many uh, pet dogs were coming up with cancer. Oh, really? Yeah. And wow. that was because of the, you know, the grasses that are sprayed on the side of the roads and mm. the dogs run through them the whole mm. time mm. and are closer to them. A lot of these... What are the alternatives? Just I mean, there are... Because there are uh, safe alternatives to using glyphosate, which is Roundup, weed yeah. killer. There, there are, so I think you've told me this in the past, because this is something we've talked about before. And well, a lot of councils now are using steam. Right. And so that's for, you know, parks and... Yeah, right. And, um, yeah, you know, more built-up areas. But then there's a there's one called Slasher. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a bit more expensive, mm-hmm. but that seems really effective. When, when you use it, it sort of smells like vinegar. Okay. And then a lot of people make their own stuff and vinegar, soap and Epsom salts and and that can be used on a pathway. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm like quite often, like we just have to learn to live with weeds and, um, you know, you pull them you out. Feed, you feed, you don't like them, pull them well, out. Well, let them go to flower and, and feed the bees. Yeah. Yep, indeed. Well, there you go from the man whose who's, uh, website is savethebees.com.au. And Be The Cure is another one of yours. Yeah, I was trying to work out why it was that the uh, Bureau of Meteorology was um, took so long, but I believe it was a fairly prosaic reason just to do with, you know, the metrics that they were using. They're more conservative than the UN. I did on, on something you mentioned before. Last year we, we had the really cold spring. Mm. I remember they were predicting that spring was meant to be hot, and it wasn't. I don't know. So sometimes I'm I'm a bit cynical with the long term forecast as well. Mm. Well, it makes it very, and it's hard because you know you said you know the erosion in your faith in science, which which happened because of, you know, for example, that they're finding that I mean I don't know whether this is true or not, but it's been suggested that um, I think one in twenty five people who had the 
mRNA vaccines, you know, the, the mm. Pfizer or the Moderna vaccines, which were sort of a new technology vaccine, and one of the few vaccines which penetrated the, the um, lining of the brain. Um, they're saying that, that one in 25 people had quite serious health consequences from having those vaccines. And again, I mean, that is a very big eroder of confidence in science. Mm. Um, and, um, and, and, you know, obviously, if you can't, and that's why you've got to be careful about how you mount these arguments about, you know, what to do in response to climate change. Um, because if you, if you put, you know, people, you, you want people to have faith in science because science can provide answers. You know, science mm. is useful. Science is, you know, is, is, is not something to be just sort of, you know, swept under the carpet or, or ignored. You know, I think that's, that's a problem for the world if you, if you get to the point where people, because of bad experiences, don't trust science. Yeah. You know, how, how do you, you know, if something serious is about to happen, it's like, you know, it's like that movie about the, you know, the meteor or whatever it's called, Don't Look Up or something. Mm. You know, that movie with... Um, Leonardo DiCaprio it came out during COVID and it was kind of a, it was, it was actually, I think it was, it was more pointedly focused on America's response to, um, you know, under Trump, the way America just sort of basically just buried its head and, and, and just ignored the reality that, you know, if you didn't have some response to COVID, then a lot of people died. I thought and they, it was they more about the, um, climate change, but... Well, I think it was, I think it was probably a bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it, the, the background at the time was also the the way. I mean, America had this huge de- death toll from COVID. I mean, it was the biggest of any. It was biggest of any country anywhere, whether developed or undeveloped. Mm. So it was it was pretty remarkable that they had that kind of death toll. I mean, it showed a couple of things. One that they were they're pretty unhealthy to start with. Yeah. So they're vulnerable, uh, and two that um, that. Uh, you know that they they ignored it at their peril, and it's not to say they needed to go the same extreme that Australia did. Because I remember speaking to Americans during the lockdown lockdowns we were having; they were very sympathetic. They couldn't believe what, what was happening here. You know, it was just like wow, yeah. what they're doing in Australia. We thought Australia was a free country. You know, mm. wow. And over there, it just wouldn't have washed. They just wouldn't have. There's too much. You know. Well, I know several people with vaccine injuries. But I don't know anyone seriously sick with COVID. No. And yeah, I don't know. We can knowing, not we, knowing what we know now, I, I don't know. Like I, you know, I mean, I, don't, I just don't think you're going to get the same level of compliance because, and this is the problem that you, if you you you, you burn your you burn your um, compliance capital, you know. Mm. So people will be compliant initially the first time it happens. Mm. You know, they'll be compliant. You go, oh yeah, we'll do the right thing. But right, once yeah. once you've gone through that, then um, you don't get the same level of compliance because people are cynical. Because I think I've told you I didn't get I held out. I didn't get vaccinated, mm-hmm. um, and it was interesting. I was at a party on Saturday night, and there was an argument about this voice debate, mm-hmm. yes or no, mm-hmm. and. One of the girls said, if anyone here votes no, I will never talk to them again. And then another friend said, well, you shouldn't really be compelling people to do it. And then one of the other ladies said, well, we accepted Simon, even though he didn't get vaccinated. And then go, and then another guy said, well, he was the only one that was right not to do it. Yeah. It was interesting, yeah. this dynamic. Yeah. Um, but they, I think the way it was pushed... In hindsight, dividing families to peak yeah, vaccine pressure. mandates, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was an atrocious part of our history. Yeah, I think this is the this is the problem, and it, and it if you don't 
do the right, if you don't sort of play it carefully with any of these things where you're sort of being, you're getting advice from scientists, like, you know, all we're, we're being told about climate change is coming from science. It's coming from the ability to, you know, they only had satellite, regular satellite imagery of the extent of sea ice in winter of Antarctica starting in 1979. So the data doesn't actually go back that long. I mean, they knew from going there and exploring the area, which happened before that, mm. that there was this huge area of sea ice that froze in winter. They didn't know the exact extent. So again, science and, and satellite technology and imaging technology has, has provided that answer. So that's how we know that there's you know this significant reduction year on year mm-hmm. in the amount of sea ice. And so that's you know, that's a, a, an example of global warming. Mm-hmm. So that there's a very important role, and and you know the ice cores, for example, which show that one of the biggest arguments that I've heard over many times because I've interviewed a guy called um, Professor. David Caroli, or Dr. David Caroli, who's a climate scientist. He was at Melbourne Uni. He's, he was helped draft the Paris Accord, and he was one of the main scientists, one of the big scientists contributing to that. And he and he kept coming back to the, you know, that if you're in any doubt about it, just go and check out the data about the ice cores, because the ice cores show that there's this dramatic change that's happening, and it coincides exactly with the Industrial Revolution, so 250 years ago, when they started basically belching smoke out into the atmosphere, polluting on a regular and systematic basis. You know, all of the most powerful arguments are founded in science. And if you don't have confidence in science as a source of reliable and useful information for the public, or if you can't explain it properly, that's why science communication is important, mm. then you've, you've, got, you've lost a big tool. You've lost a very important thing. What's the point of having developed science and have scientific expertise in all sorts of different branches and specialties when the, a lot of people are going to ignore it? You know, this is the whole thing with, you know, under Trump in America, a lot of people ignore science because it doesn't suit them, you know, or, they're, or the, the, far, the Christian right or whatever it is, you know, they want to ignore science because it doesn't suit them, their ide- ideologies at all. Too, that, so it, it does present problems. And so that's why I think with this sort of argument, the, the more it becomes politicised, it's to the detriment of the world and to the detriment of the of the environment because you get it breeds cynicism it breeds ah i don't believe that you know yeah well there's like it, it, there's so many different topics now that science is encroaching on that makes things more confusing mm. and yeah you, you mentioned trump and the christians but one debate that i've been sort of watching from afar is the gender transition in in america and how massive it's gone. Like it's gone from 2% of 2% or something to being quite prevalent in schools and in classes. And mm. whether it's become fashionable to, for kids to get attention, mm. they're having these different pharmaceutical tablets to stop them going through puberty and, and making these decisions when they're, you know, eight or nine, mm. and sometimes without their parents' permission, mm. when they're a little bit older. You can't get a tattoo until you're 18, but you can change your gender beforehand. Mm. And so, is that scientific or not? Mm. Is, it, is it scientific to say that there are two genders? Mm. But now, it's, it's not. Well, again, so, so that's the politicisation of science. It's, mm. it's, it's other factors coming into affecting the trust of science or, or basic information of science but also it's, it's been driven by technology and scientific breakthroughs because it's you know there's hormone therapies there's operations there's technical things that can be done 
to assist with these sort of changes. I to, think to, on Google now it, you, it, it says men can have babies. There's a pregnant man emoji. Yeah, yeah, and um, I thought that was a joke, but I think Elon <laughs> Musk put it yeah, up with um, he said it to with Bill Gates. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then like above all of this, I was listening to um, an expert talking about what it could be all about, and. Bill Gates has made it no secret that he thinks the population is too high. Mm. And on the topic of fear, you get mm. people fear, they're yeah, probably yeah. less inclined. Well, there were all these theory, conspiracy theories about Bill Gates and vaccines and, you know, you get injected and it puts a chip in you so that you can be controlled or, you know... Well, or... I think it's, it, it, they're talking about fertility, I think, in the mRNA one, mm. whether it, it affects your food chance. What a great way of, yeah, what a great way of, of culling the human population have a pandemic. I hear we've got the drug to save you from it, but you've got to well, sacrifice have, your fertility by having the drug. Yeah, and, and the other one that they... You've got a few more kids left in your son. <laughs> well, Elon recently, he, he tweeted, like, the best thing you can do for the world is having more children. And he's putting up statistics of the birth rates that have gone down around the world at the moment mm. particularly in western countries mm. and even in Ch- i think china even in china they've got it's, i think it's quite dramatic there and and they were able to do it through government policy yeah where, child policy. whereas you can't do that in the west mm. we've gone we've gone off so we have. But, but everything's but, connected but it, in but the it, way well it is it is because it's it comes down to that you know the, the the impact of science and technology and sort of the technology making these things possible in the first place gender reassignment, all that sort of stuff made, made possible by technology. And the same thing about, you know, the arguments about what, what's caused climate change, you know, and, and you've got to be very careful because if you don't manage these things properly, then you, you the population becomes very desensitised or, or just it doesn't have any trust in science. And that is a problem because if you have something, if you have something important, then you do want to have science as a tool, as, a, as part of a suite of things that you can use to respond to something. And if you can't trust science, then you've, you've lost a very big, a very powerful tool, I think. Yeah, well, we're, we're dependent on science. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, the world, the civilization basically is built on science and technology in terms hmm. of electricity, lights, computers, all the things that we take for granted, mobile phones, communications, they're all science-based things. You know, you listen to educators, they're saying the jobs of the future, you know, get your kids to do well in STEM subjects, science, technology, engineering, maths. They're all the things that are important. They're the, they're the jobs of the future. And AI is going to dislodge a whole lot of other jobs. And, and if you can specialise in something like computer programming or designing machines, you know, for the, the machines that make the machines, that kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah, I think uh, AI uh, might be t- taking over that too. Mm. I think we're both mucked around with technology, I suppose, and that AI that's available at the moment is quite incredible when you have your chats with it or give it projects to undertake and i know that elon put up uh, the other day one of his humanoid robots optimus um, and yeah that like it, that will be able to do all your chores you mm. know your lawns your dishes mm. i don't know how much they're going to cost i thought it was like forty-five thousand us or something and yeah, what's that going to mean mm. when that's available to do your, your work? Awesome. Be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And then, yeah, I mean, you, you, you also you have this sort of potential that, that, that we live in a world where there's a big cultural change because people 
either they don't have to work or their jobs have completely changed and they've got to requalify themselves. You know, it's like the person who has the rumba that drives around on its own and vacuums a carpet for you. They're still quite expensive. Not many people have got them. Most people use a manual vacuum still. Mm. You know, so if you have a if you have an Optimus robot that comes and cleans your house for you, that'll presumably start off expensive and it'll take a while before it becomes a, a you know, a, a thing, yeah. a, a th- something like a laptop that's that's in every household. And then they predicted that chess was going to really take a dive once the computer and the, the best... No, and, and it got really popular. Yeah. Particularly over the last few years. So. Mm. Especially online, online chess. Well, it's always mm. been popular mm. um, since the internet came out. I think there was that movie Netflix did. They had a, a hero woman chess player, and that was, you know, put the popularity of chess up a lot, particularly in the female community. Mm. But as Netflix stars, it took some liberties because uh, I don't think there's been many women chess players in the in the I know it's funny that I've been reading the Musk biography Uh it does compare him to Steve Jobs it compares him to Albert Einstein because the writer Isaacson has written biographies of Da Vinci Jobs Musk now I think Benjamin Franklin he's done all these you know historic figures and he he does draw quite a few um, parallels with Steve Jobs Mm-hmm. It, these are complicated people, you know. I mean, as everyone is, you know. But, but he's not like he's an angel. I think he can be pretty hard on on his on his employees, very hard, and push mm-hmm. them very very hard. Yeah. But I think that that seems to be that's how you get things done, or that's how you you know you you kind of create new paradigms. And I think he'd be equally hard on himself. Yeah, and then you go back further, and I think a lot of it stems from childhood. You know, he had a tough time. He had a difficult father had a tough childhood, got beaten up as a kid. So a lot of things you can sort of see that there's this background to, to having his drive, you know, having this fire in his belly to prove himself or something, you know, to... Have you seen he's got that fight with um, Zuckerberg? Yeah, where... cage fight. Didn't Zuckerberg say it's not going to happen or what's no, going No, I think he's still training. Like, it's, it's, I saw They both him. are? Yeah. <laughs> and Zuckerberg, like, had... He's actually a black belt now, I think, right. in jiu-jitsu and... He'll go into jiu-jitsu comps and wear a mask. Okay. So yeah. they don't know it's him? No. Okay. I've done a little bit of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and if you know Brazilian jiu-jitsu and the other guy doesn't, there's no way the other guy can win, really. Right. But then I've heard Must say, well, he, he did Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and <laughs> both, I think there's another guy, Lex Friedman, that we're a mutual friend of them both, and <laughs> they've both been wrestling with him, and... They've been given the rights to have the fight at the Greek Colosseum or something. Oh, really? Yeah. So the, there was in the Acropolis. Yeah, right. there was going to uh, they were going to do it in Vegas, but um, originally they could go for something even more historic yeah. than that. Mm. Oh, well, that would be that would be a good one. I mean, maybe he'll he'll televise it exclusively through X. You know how he's got he does all these launches, SpaceX launches, and there's one coming up which is the. The Starship, the second Starship launch, which might, might this this one might work, that was televised through YouTube. Oh, he's taken it off. And and uh, there's talk that he's gonna. The only way about to watch it is through X. Uh huh. There's been so much censorship stuff going on, mm. and obviously X has opened up to you know some of these other people like Tucker Carlson, and ends up putting his show. I think he interviewed Trump. On X, and I think it had you know, the highest ratings of any show ever produced. I think over a hundred million people watching it, 
and then interviewing Andrew Tate was another one that they had on there that was huge numbers so uh, like he's he's allowed some voices that you haven't been able to hear to to get publicized and it's worked for him in some ways I don't know there's an organization called ADL and he was talking about trying to sue them but they seem to be able to get advertisers on board or off board and I think he he was saying that he's lost about 30 billion in advertising because of who he's allowed back onto the platform. Right. Yeah. Well, it'll be an interesting one because I'd love to see them have a cage fight. I reckon that'd be awesome. Yeah. Well, you spoke about him being competitive and both of them being competitive. I don't think they like each other much at all. No. And they've got one of the things that they disagree about is AI. Musk's been pretty scathing about it. Like he just, you know, he thinks he's just a total, you know, well, I used to enjoy... But he's also been scathing about Trump, and that's the funny thing, that he also does allow these quite right-wing um, views to be expressed on on what used to be called Twitter, now X. Like in the book, The Biography of Elon Musk by Walter Isaacson, I think when Trump first got in, he assembled, he wanted a you know technology advisory group, so he got people like Musk and the guys behind Google Page and Brin and a bunch of you know tech guys... Musk was sort of involved initially and, and then I think he and he was going to help him with climate change or something or renewable energy or solar generation, power generation. And then he had a meeting with him and he just walked away. He just said, okay, no, I can't work with Trump because I think he's insane. Yeah, well, so, he, I think um, <laughs> Trump tweeted something like, we've got one of the greatest Americans you can get in terms of Elon Musk. And then Elon Musk said, I'm South African. Yeah, <laughs> not American. Yeah, yeah. And so that was embarrassing for him at the time. Yeah, so they certainly, I don't know. I thought there might be ego involved there too. Where, who's who's really running the world, mate? The the president or or the scientist or the richest guy in the world? Well, I've just asked ChatGPT what the solution to climate change is, and it's given me the answer. It's given me um, ten points. Transition to renewable energy, one of the most significant contributions to climate change is burning of fossil fuels for energy. Transition to renewables, such as solar, wind, da-da-da, um, can uh, reduce greenhouse gas emissions substantially. It describes it as a complex and multifaceted challenge that requires global cooperation and action on multiple fronts. So it's all kind of fairly standard mm-hmm. stuff. Energy efficiency, improving energy efficiency in homes, buildings, industries, transportation, Carbon pricing, implementing carbon pricing mechanisms such as carbon taxes, um, reforestation and, a- and afforestation. Planting trees and restoring forests can absorb carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. Sustainable agriculture, sustainable transportation, carbon capture and storage, climate adaption, international cooperation. Climate change is a global issue and international cooperation is crucial. Agreements like the Paris Agreement aim to unite countries in their efforts to limit global... This is probably written by people rather than AI. Mm. Public awareness and education, educating the public about climate change and its impacts can lead to greater support for climate-friendly policies and behaviours. So, yeah. Thank God for AI. Not. Well, yeah, not in a way. Like, I, I do see biases in, in AI a bit. I, I don't know if, I've, if we've spoken about it much, but the first day I sort of played around with it, I wrote in it, can you write a positive poem about Donald Trump? 
and it wouldn't do it, but it would do one for Biden. And, um, and yeah, I think, um, yeah, unfortunately, you, you, you want these things not to have a, a, a bias. Mm. But on other topics, it's just shocked me how brilliant it is. Like I have to, I had to submit a grant to the Shire for twenty beehives in, uh, in in a regenerative farm, and that's basically the question I said. Can you write me a, a grant for twenty beehives? And it just did an amazing job. Right. Every little bit of equipment, narrowed it down. The price of the equipment, it was just incredible. Right. So I can imagine a lot of people out there are, uh, you know, reaping the benefits. Yeah, well, they've, they've said that there's, um, you know, copywriters and stuff are struggling. Mm. Um, what causes global warming? Sorry. Global warming is primarily caused by enhanced greenhouse effect. Carbon dioxide emissions, methane emissions, nitrous oxide emissions, fluorinated gases, deforestation, land use changes, industrial processes, transportation, agriculture, waste management. Yeah, it's hard not to use the chat GDP, but in... In some ways, I'm just wondering if that AI is just going to make us all dumber. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm hoping not. And Yeah, but it's, it is it's a way. books, I reckon. You know, if you're worried about getting dumb, dumbed down by, by um, the internet and social media and Netflix and all that stuff, just read books. Yeah. I reckon I would always try hard to get, you know, to read to family. Mm-hmm. I hope that's and the antidote. Read to my read myself. Just just a, it's a habit, and it's just something that I mean. I know it takes time, and we're all busy, but it is. Um, it's to, I think just that the mental process of reading is a really good one. I think it's good for your brain. I've noticed changes in um, maybe the last three years in social media, mm. and I think you know there was a a show that I watched that sort of told me what was going to happen. I didn't realize at the time called a social dilemma. Mm, and mm. the algorithms, uh, the three main ones, um, TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, are all competing for your attention. Mm. So they've got these algorithms that start learning what you like and mm. what you're going to be more likely to click on. Mm. And then they, you don't choose them anymore. I don't know if you use those mm. platforms, but they throw up these videos and it just hypnotizes. Well, yeah, yeah, I get hypnotized okay. now. Yeah, um, but what's the first thing you do in the morning? Do you do the endless scroll on Insta in the morning? Oh, you know, I used. But to, is that your part my, of your? My, 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 in the old days, I was like, I would write an article on bees every day, a different article, and mm. I found that really fun to do. Just an amazing fact. Mm. But now I'm thinking, is that make me part of the problem, keeping people on their devices too much? Well, yeah. The more you use it, the more you're supporting that. Yeah, the the, the algorithm. So I I don't completely have the answers there, except I think what I'm finding I get the most reach in now is through newsletter updates or petitions mm. like mm. and uh, making things go viral now is a bit different than it was too it's like the algorithm now chooses who goes viral and who doesn't mm. which you can imagine with something like TikTok I think that's become the most influential influential platform here now mm. for things like the voice debate mm. But people are concerned about that because it's Chinese owned and they and there's not much transparency about, 
you know, like at least in America, you know, to some extent they've regulated Facebook. You know, they've, they've had to. They've brought in, they've forced... So you don't have people like televising mass shootings, that sort of stuff, live streaming them through mm-hmm. Facebook, which that guy did in Christchurch. Yeah. Yeah. There is some oversight and there's some regulation. There's a bit more sort of a sense of social responsibility. But with China, there's no way of enforcing that. You know, like there's no transparency. And, mm. and they, cl- you know, they claim that it's a, it's a Chinese, it's a company independent to the Chinese government. But I think there's, yeah, really they, like, they have there's not such a thing. There's not no. such a thing. You know, if the CCP sees something of interest that a private company is doing, they just say, we want it. We're mm. taking over. And, and if you don't cooperate, you, you know, you're all going to jail. And if you are China or, or, or you see yourself as a competitor, the thing you try to do the most is divide societies. And I yeah, think this exactly. yes thing is exactly an example of that because mm. I've mm. reading a, an article debating TikTok's role in it mm. and they were showing the amount of no's to yeah, what was getting, getting more of a result and uh, it was pretty even but the algorithms are pushing this mm. divide. Mm. Yeah, that that I find is is quite disturbing, and and even though I'm I'm running a, a you know a social media enterprise and save the bees, yeah, I'm getting so concerned by the algorithms, yeah, that I'm wondering um, how are we ever going to find a better way? And AI must be choosing the algorithms. I asked it, what is what's so special about bees? And again, I mean, you can't fault its answers. They're pretty good answers. I, I, I wrote Pollination, mm-hmm. biodiversity, ecosystem services, honey production, hive complexity, cultural and economic significance, uh, indicator species, like a barometer of the health of ecosystems, mm-hmm. threats and conservation, bees are facing numerous threats, uh, research and study, uh, subject of extensive, extensive research because of their unique biology and behaviour, Educational value, often used as educational tools to teach people, especially children, about the importance of pollinators, biodiversity and interconnectedness of nature. In summary, bees are special due to their critical role in pollination, their ecological importance, their contribution to human food production, their complex social structures and their cultural and economic significance. Well-being is closely tied to the health of our ecosystems, making their conservation and protection a matter of global importance to fault yeah um, so you know how long did that school project take you to do <laughs> you know, I, a couple I didn't, of I didn't. <laughs> yeah I know well I've actually got a friend who's a he's a lecturer at tertiary level like university and he said it's a, it's an increasing problem it's like how do you sift out um, people who've just you know, said, oh I can't meet the deadline I've got to hand in a 10,000 word essay on blah 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 tomorrow better jump on chat GPT and and he said it's becoming harder and harder to to, to you know pick them apart. Yeah, and then on on that topic, I was talking to someone about it, and I, I remember an Einstein quote, which was, "It's not the answers you come up with; it's the questions you ask." Yeah. and you've got to get better at asking the questions. Yeah, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the computer that thought for like five million years or something, which was I think the computer was the Earth, to answer the, the question of what is the meaning of life, and the answer was forty two, and then the computer said, but to, in order to understand the answer, you have to understand the question. You have to know the question. Yeah. That's really the truth, isn't it? Because anything, you know, to be able to use a search engine, to be able to use ChatGPT, you've got to have a question. Yeah. You've got to have something you're searching for. Mm.